Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Ladies, gentlemen, and everyone else, welcome back to another edition of Eat Meets West on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping just to start things off for going through tonight's big, big show. We're going to be covering three tournaments, the World Tag League, Best of Super Juniors, and the Super J Cup. Uh, you can get us on all good podcasting platforms, Anchor, Spotify, and Apple. And you can also get us on Instagram and Twitter at Suplex Retweet. And don't forget, we also have our busy YouTube channel featuring multiple editions of Quiz Showdown, of which mm-hmm. one of the multiple competitors is with me tonight. So with no further ado, <laughs> I'm going to introduce my partner, my co-host, the Chris Charlton, to my Kevin Kelly, because let's face it, <laughs> neither of us is Gino Gambino. Scott McLeod. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Graham. Just just been so so much wrestling honestly I'm, I'm glad that we got the, the uh, that week that was small like week space in between like before the final we made that a little bit of rest but uh, but you know we got a lot to cover as you said and like we, we, gave, we gave everybody a little preview of what the finals were going to be and how we got there uh, on central but we're going to go even more in depth uh, here yeah absolutely crazy three stacked tournaments Right on the back of the G1, I think, like, I've done a little bit of the math, and I think roughly between the G1 and these three tournaments um, from, like, October till now when we are middle of December, we've probably watched roughly about 30-odd, almost 40 nights of wrestling. Wow. It is an unreal schedule in just that short period of time for us, and, you know, I don't know about you, but, I, you know, I, I've, I, I don't know how I've managed to avoid the burnout, but, my God. What, what what those three tournaments brought as World Tag League Best Super Junior Super J Cup eh <laughs> yeah I think again getting a bit of a rest uh, between like the December 6th show where we finalised who's going to be the final two teams in each uh, in each tournament and then also there's a bit of a day or so between the finals and Super J Cup for us because of time difference in the UK and also especially for me uh, with watching English commentary instead of Japanese commentary where I had to wait a couple of days and I got the first three days of tournament all delivered at once. So the fact that I had to watch like, a couple of shows way a bit and then another show would be there, I think that saved me from the burnout. And somehow I managed to keep, I think this is the most up-to-date I've been on a New Japan tournament in some time. Because like, I felt happy with myself, like, right, I watched the uh, November 30th show and I was waiting ages for like the 2nd and 4th of December shows to get uploaded in English. So I'm actually happy with myself that I managed to keep it up-to-date. Like more so than I usually am because I usually don't get to watch the finals till like a good few days afterwards. 
and uh, we've been really lucky with the fact that they've really brought in the they've really upped their game with the live commentary for the, the, the finals mm-hmm. to make sure that uh, anyone watching English commentary like yourself doesn't miss out and even me I watched the finals English commentary and you know you can't go wrong with it it was, it was nice getting to hear Gino back you know Gino's oh, always yeah. great laugh in the commentary yeah he was <laughs> he was a definite consistent uh, highlight and like they were teasing a surprise and that's why it was taking so long for the first few days to get uploaded and I thought well, it won't be Rocky and Romero because, like, they've already had him on, like, much of the G1 and, like, since they came back. So I thought it must be Gino because he's not been, like, heard on commentary since before the pandemic. And he came back and I was happy to hear him. And, like, I'll mention this throughout the this review. But across both tournaments, he was just a, a lovely highlight, you know, always coming in with funny one-liners or excuses for the heels, especially the members of Bullet Club. Yeah, I mean, I think Gino summed it up perfectly with a meme that he shared himself, and you'll appreciate this one as much as me. And it was a picture for The Simpsons, and it's when Gino is not on commentary, everyone should be asking, "Where's Gino?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been asking that for for a long time, yes, and now we finally get him back. And I don't know if you any if this is getting to head with, but they made an announcement regarding commentary at uh, at Wrestle Kingdom, which uh, sadly doesn't involve Gino. No Gino or Wrestle Kingdom. Oh, that's going to be that. That just doesn't feel right to me. That's oh, that's just yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be Kevin Kelly, Rocky Romero, and Chris Charlton not just doing commentary live, but for the first time since before the pandemic, they're going to actually be there in the Tokyo Dome. So not only do we get live commentary, but they're actually going to be there, and I think we're immediately like we'll feel the difference because like every now and then it feels like there's a bit of a delay in like reaction to certain moves. It doesn't like take out your OA from it too much but when you're watching it you do tend to notice it so I think you'll immediately know the difference when you get to hear them now calling it live from ringside once again Yeah getting to hear that sort of gut gut reaction that you get whereas when I think sometimes when they're recording at home they've maybe had a chance to kind of watch it and then maybe watch it again and recall it so mm-hmm. it's definitely it's going to have the magic back but I, I'd say look, let's discuss the format of this the way they've done like opening night both cards on the one on the opening night and then going into the alternate, and where it was World Tag League one night, best of Super Juniors other. How did you feel that worked for you? I liked it because, like, I found on the first night, like, the, I liked the first couple of matches, and then you had the two big main event matches for both tournaments. I found the middle portion of the first night a bit hard to, to get through because you had like 10 matches, and that's just to do with like the tournament, but that's without any filler tag matches, which they didn't include. But then going forward, you had just the five matches each night. And then, like, you got okay, one day it's this, and then there's a couple of days break, so it's good for the athletes. So, I think it was better when they had both tournaments going in, like, the final night, because, you know, it was like the idea of the tension wrapping up and, like, getting so tight at the top, as we'll talk about. The first night, I wasn't a fan of it, but I like the alternate, the alternating dates, because I think it, it definitely makes it a lot easier on the, the athletes and it's easier for the fans to follow along with over the next month. Yeah, I definitely in agreement with you there because it did it did through that opening night as much as I did enjoy it, it, it did border towards becoming a slog because it was just so much and you know, as much as we all love our wrestling, you know, sometimes you just need a little bit of a a little bit of a, a breath to catch in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, you had a bit of a surprise like the reveal of like Okan's partner uh, in one of the first matches and then also the last two you had like a rematch of like, Ishimori and Hiromu and you had like the G.O.D. Uh, Finjuice match which was a, which is like a rematch of Wrestle Kingdom 14 
And so, like, yeah, do two marquee matches at the end. It's just the middle portion. I find it hard to like to really concentrate, like, say, during like the like matches between like Taguchi and Desperado, for instance. And that, and it's no disrespect on like the wrestlers themselves. But again, it was like a lot to pack onto the first night. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, and you know, I think you've you've led me to like probably the first point, which you know, because there's so much to cover, so we really want to focus on certain points. And I think the the first thing I would really talk about was. The first showing for the for the team of Okan and Cobb, a new a part of the new faction, Will Osprey is the Empire. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Did they did they meet your expectations when you found out it was Cobb going into it? Uh, I was I was kind of part of me was hoping it was Cobb because you'd broached the idea and like uh, I messaged you shortly after as well. Like fair dues to you, you get you called it uh, that it was Cobb and like I just like the idea that like their victory I think was the shortest of the whole tournament in the first night running through Tanahashi and Tanari with the idea that Tanari and Tanahashi didn't know who they were going to prepare for because they didn't know who the partner was going to be. And I think and instantly they secured themselves as a potential like winners at Dark Horse pick to win the tournament. Like, you know, and they got that, that one on the final night over uh, Sanada and Shingo, one of my favourites, to, to go to the final and mathematically eliminated them, which was kind of heartbreaking for me. But I think... When you look at them, they are probably going to be a major thing in the tag division going forward. Even though when we look at Wrestle Kingdom, they're kind of looking at singles pursuits for now. But you know the fact they were booked so like strongly, only lost to like favorite teams, like and like losing to the tag champs, which is never a, a bad thing. So they didn't have that many clean losses. So they were very well protected during the tournament, even though they didn't ultimately go to the final. Yeah, I mean, you look at their performance, you know, to me, I, I, I was really impressed with them, you know, picking up 10 points on their on their first one, a respectable amount when you look at the field, uh, probably yeah. like the most tightly contested World Tag League I, I can really think of from like the several that I've watched, it's, it got ridiculously hard to follow who was going to actually get through. Yeah, and I think it, it struggled the commentary as well, because you talked about it on uh, Central, like by the end, there were like sixteen potential like combinations that could have went, and we kind of figured the tag chance weren't going to go through because you you very rarely have that happen in World Tag League. Like maybe they go to the block final when there's two, but not when there's just the one that uh, the one block. And I think the commentators summed up best that it's more highly contested for the for the wrestlers because there's less filler teams, which means they need to work harder with every match. You know, even a potentially filler team like Chase Owens and Fally got their first win over the defending champs in Finjus, which is one of those like big surprise matches you expect to see in round four in tournaments like this because you never know like so and so like you count them out and then said like, oh look who they've they beat a potential favourite. Yeah, I mean to me it's like when you look at that, like the the Empire of Khan and Cobb coming in gave the tag division a little bit of a boost because no no offence, like there's a lot of good teams in there, but some of the teams just feel like what 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 is what is there like Hanare with Tanahashi, it, it didn't really feel like much. I mean, they only got what, one win the whole tournament. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was kind of weird to see uh, see Tanahashi be involved in a team and like perform so badly. Uh, like, and uh, weirdly, it got to a point where I was actually rooting for Jason Fatley at one point because they were losing so much, and then they got that one over that win over uh, Finjus, and then they got one or two more victories. They got a win over. Uh, I went over Fali. They got a win over Hanari and Tanahashi, and basically a match that said loser here is mathematically eliminated. And they they busted a new finisher whenever they won a match with that grenade launcher. 
and I did love it even when they were mathematically out of it. You had uh, Gino's like, they could still win this, right? And Jim uh, was like, yeah, if everybody else in the tournament gets food poisoned, then maybe Fally and Chase can get to the final. Yeah, and I mean, like looking at their different wins, I mean, the other one to me was the fact that they got the win over Evil in Yujiro as well. Yeah. I thought that was a, an interesting one because you had quite a few sort of like really like stable v stable matches. I mean, Bullet Club had three teams representing them in that and Chaos had two. So Yeah, and yeah, that was interesting because like you, you said before like and when we previewed that the teams when they were finally revealed that you felt like Evil and Yujiro were kind of a of a filler team and I thought that as well but then like the first three nights of World Tag League they actually performed fairly well like beating Sanada and Shingo on night one of the tournament I had an XT coming and like then you had Dick Togo uh, always causing shenanigans or the, the health and safety officer as uh, as Gino <laughs> calls him like every time he grabs someone's like, like oh he's just trying to make sure his shoelaces are tied or no that's not a guarantee he's using that's a, that's a tape measure or something like that and whenever like they, they keep using like the exposed turnbuckles they're like Oh, that's why Dick Togas are here. Those corner pads keep falling off. Exactly. That was that was absolutely genius. I mean, Dick Togo continuing to be like sort of the the little ace and evil sleeve. And yeah, I mean that that opening night when it, when they beat Shingo and Sanada, my jaw just about dropped to the floor. Going, no, no, you you, you can't do that, surely. Yeah, <laughs> but they did. <laughs> I think uh, one thing about evil and one thing about evil and usual that's quite interesting is that they kept bringing up on commentary that. The time when uh, Okan and Cobb beat Yujiro and Evil, Evil got involved, but he never tagged in. Basically, Yujiro got left to the, the wolves in that. And I thought it was quite interesting is that last time Cobb and Yujiro were in the ring together, uh, Cobb lost in the G1 because Yujiro used his walking stick. And maybe in the long term, we'll find out that maybe that's the moment that Jeff Cobb decides to change. And that will be revealed as he's like maybe motivation to join the Empire. Yeah, I mean that's that's one. I think me and you talked about this before. It's kind of the, the fact that Cobb joined the man that he actually beat in the G one. Mm-hmm. What's his what's his what's his end game? What's his plan? There, there has to be something to that, surely. And knowing Gedo, we're probably going to find out about eighteen months from now. <laughs> Maybe you know. Um, some of it, like you were. I know you were probably annoyed to see Sanad and Single lose night one. I think the most angry I got about results throughout the tournament was when. I think it was Goto and Yoshihashi beat the G.O.D. And we we're still unsure about mathematically if G.O.D. were going to get to the final. And like as much as we talked about Yoshihashi suddenly stepped up ever since becoming a six-man champion, I was just like, if G.O.D. don't make the final because of this loss to fucking Yoshihashi, I'll be, I'll find you, Gato. I'll write a strongly ordered letter. You look at, you look at like, G.O.D. only had three losses. Um, but coming out with 12 points so three losses Finjus on the opening night fair enough you can understand that one yeah um, lo- losing to Ishii and Yano again you can understand that one go, go to Yoshihashi though come on what are you playing at yeah that was that seemed weird because yeah they, they even beat the tag team champions which immediately like set them up and then like when Evil sorry when Shingo and Sanada had beaten uh, Dangerous Tigers in their previous match I thought well that's setting up LIGV GOD as the final of two teams that have beaten the champion and then uh, it was then GOD beat Evil and I keep saying Evil and Sonata I'm so used to that Shingo and Sonata uh, in Corgan Hall thanks to interference from from Jado then it got quite interesting I thought and then they got mathematically eliminated because they lost to the Empire I was quite sad but 
in the end, I'm kind of happy that they didn't get to the final because, you know, they've got their own thing going forward. And I don't think I'd be able to choose who my favourite would be in an LIG versus versus GOD final, whereas I was firmly rooting for GOD when we got the actual final. I definitely think they made it, like, for me, they made it easier for me to, like, who to root for in the final by the fact that they eliminated LIG. And it makes sense, you know, Shingo with the never open weight belt. You need to keep him kind of free for Wrestle Kingdom, which we'll, we will get to that. Um, we had that kind of that one block format. I don't know about you, but I find it enjoyable, but I, 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 miss, I miss the old two blocks. Yeah, I think, well, we do get rid of some of the filler, which is enjoyable and makes matches more harder to call. But when in, like, you had like the moment of the final where, you, where Dangerous Techers won their match and it seemed like the commentators were saying, OK, they're in the final. And then had to come back and match play and say, oh, actually, we've read it wrong. Uh, still, potentially. Like, they said that at one point there was a potential for a three-way final of uh, Goto and uh, Yoshihashi, I think it was, at GOD and Dangerous Tickers, which I know I said you don't usually see your champs in the final, but part of me was thinking, like, I'd be interested to see what a three-way final was like, because if you have uh, the champs in there, you don't have to ch- have the champs get pinned, and you've actually preserved the, the match. Uh, that you've got for Wrestle Kingdom and the champs don't look weak. But then we got GOD versus Finges, which as I said, you know, G- uh, Finges were the defending champs and this is a rematch from Wrestle Kingdom. And given the fact that GOD had lost to them in the finals, there was a lot going into this. In the final, you could believably see them going with Finges in the final. But I think given that GOD, they kept saying, well, these guys, 16 champs, but they never won at Wrestle Kingdom and they never won World Tag League. Where you think like, but you can't bring something like that up and not follow through with it. You know, they keep going on, like they call themselves the Gorillas of Destiny, and to them, this is their destiny. That's it. It was absolutely like, let, let, let's let's talk about that final thing, just in God. Let's like, I remember you messaging me, like, I'd already watched it, and you had finally seen the that match, and your reaction was just, you know, it was <laughs> it was a hell of a match. That that finish. <laughs> yeah, the finish. Like the first five minutes, I thought were a bit meh. It took, a, it took its time, you know. I think they gave, they dedicated more time to the Super Juniors final that followed it. But, uh, you know, the first five minutes were a bit standing around because, you know, they initially threw out Jado. So, like, because he had played a factor quite a bit in G.O.D.'s matches with that kendo stick. So they thought, well, what a clean final will get out rid of Jado. And then the finish, you know, you've got referee kind of taking out, he's distracted, and then out comes Kenta with the, the U.S. title briefcase. And as many like, I was screaming like a little girl, like, Kenta! Kenta's here, and he's hit Finn Juice. I've dealt with you before. Maybe he's hit, he's hit Juice. Maybe we'll have that Juice Robinson Finlay match at Wrestle Kingdom, like I said, because maybe John Moxley won't be able to be at Wrestle Kingdom. And then it helped GOD win, and I was just going mental, you know. I was like half 11 at night. I'll try not to be too loud for the sake of my neighbours, but I'm just going mental at the, at the finish. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you you'd called you'd called that one. You had a feeling that they might go for the Kent the Kenta and Juice Robinson match at Wrestle Kingdom. I I think to me that almost a hundred percent certifies that that is going to happen, and it's a match that I really want to see. <laughs> yeah, they have, they they confirmed some matches for Wrestle Kingdom. That one they've not said anything about because I think uh, this coming Friday uh, on the eighteenth, there's another US title defense on New Japan Strong. It's Brody Lee, no, not Brody Lee, Brody King, sir. Uh, taking on Kenta, so maybe following that match, then they'll announce something because Tony Khan came out and said that John Moxley won't be at Wrestle Kingdom. And as much as fans may think, well, maybe he wants us to think, 
it's looking like more, no, that's actually the reality. John Monks is not going to be there. And so, like, you set this up that we had set up from, like, the second night of B-Block, I think, uh, in the G1, where I mentioned to you, like, they had Finlay making his intentions, they had just making his intentions clear they wanted the briefcase after he pinned Kenta, which is why I kept going on about how I was surprised, like, why is Tanahashi the one to get the title shot? And why did they go with that and not uh, and not just? Exactly. And you know what? It, it clearly turns out that Gado was again playing us with a long game. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like there's an obvious an obvious choice, but nope. There was something else in the works and yeah, I mean, like the image of Juice on the ground after it, like that briefcase hit so hard that it actually split him wide open. Just blood coming down his face and I was like, Oh yeah, there is gonna be a proper grudge match coming out of this. You talked about long game, like something they they brought up on commentary and they brought up on their the website. I didn't even consider that uh, last year when Kenta had that match with Ishii where he won the Never title, they talked about how G.O.D. got involved to help him. and talked about, well, that's Kenta repaying the favour. There's something even from longer ago that some of us probably would have forgotten about. Because, like I said, I didn't like the start of the match, but the match really got into it over the start. And, like, I, I keep getting nervous every time they go for a super powerbomb G.O.D. That seems to be when the tide obviously turns against them. Basically, when they were like so dominant on Juice, and then suddenly Finley got up and they got their second wind, and it was a nice touch that Finn Juice started breaking all these old school tag finishers like Doomsday Device, the Heart Attack, even Power and Glory's old finisher. Yeah, and if I, if I remember correctly now, this is my memory sort of it. Um, I do believe I was at that match when Kenta won the open weight title over at Ishii. That was back in London, if I remember correctly, at Royal Quest. Yeah, Royal Quest, yeah, because I think it was the one where. Like you think he got injured in the match, and like there was like concern, like should they have stopped it or not? Oh yeah, it was a, it was not a pretty match when it came to like sort of worrying about someone's well-being watching them. But yeah, I mean you're you're right there with the long-term storytelling within it, and the Eng- this is what I love about the cut commentary in New Japan, especially the English commentary. They remind us of this stuff. Sometimes we can forget it, and it's like because it's like a year ago, two years ago, and they're like, oh yeah, this happened. And you're like, oh wait, no, so it did. This, this makes sense. Yeah, it, 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 it doesn't feel random, and I mean, to me, I, I think it was the right decision. God finally breaking their curse, the one world tag league, it really cements them further as one of the best tag teams in the entire world. Because mm-hmm, like everything's moving so fast, especially with two tournaments. Like you got okay, someone's all got a win, but now they've got to focus on this thing. And like I think it was like their third or fourth match in the tournament, God versus. Uh, dangerous takers, which because everything's been moving so long and so much has happened, it feels longer to go than it actually was. So by the time we get to the Tokyo Dome, well, we know we'll probably get a lot more of a match than we got here because this is more of a brawl when they had that match. Originally, like the first five minutes weren't even in the ring. And then you had like takers trying to lock them in submissions to get the count out and then sprinting their way back to the ring. And even had like Judy using the, the iron glove against them, which I'd forgotten that, that Tai Chi had. And then I was yelling at my, team, my computer, even though I was by myself, like, the glove! He's using the glove! <laughs> yeah, I, you completely forget, forget that like Tai Chi still has that from Izuka, and, you know, like, Tai Chi coming off the back of, like, a fantastic G1 showing, and then back into into tag action with Zach. And I really, like, to me, World Tag League at points, it could feel, to me, Compared to best of Super Juniors, a couple of times where I almost lost a bit of focus on it, but you know some of the teams really stood out, and 
yeah, what, what, like for me, standout team was God by a mile. They just put it all out there. What would who yeah. would you say was yours? I think I'd agree. God, you know, I'd also maybe give a shout out to Evil, not Evil. Fucking, I keep going to say Evil and Sonata, Sonata and Shingo. I'll just call them Lig going forward because you know, commentary pointed out the difference that in Sonata teaming with Shingo than when he teamed with Evil. He talked about Evil can be like quite like it is cool and like like typical Lij fashion. So Sonada had that both like brief burst of energy, whereas he's working with Shingo, who's a lot more fast paced. So they talk about the difference in Sonada with this different partner and the idea that maybe Sonada's finally coming out of his, his shell. And I don't know if you've noticed, like you felt like there was a difference in Sonada now that he's formed this new partnership with Shingo. Yeah, I definitely feel that it's brought something fantastic. And, you know, we keep talking about how this is setting up different matches. And I think, you know, we do need to mention the fact that there was a, spe- a special singles match set up on that final night because who did Sonada beat the ever-loving hell out of? Evil. Because <laughs> I think I even mentioned the idea to you privately that, like, because I saw that they announced the full uh, lineup for the final night on the 11th because, like, they got the two finals but then he had a lot, bunch of different people in tag matches, people who are already confirmed for, for Wrestle Kingdom's way of fighting, some people who are going to have matches set up. And it was like Sonada and Shingo versus Yujiro and Evil. So like a rematch from, from night one of the, the tournament. And I said maybe they'll set up an Evil-Sonada match, because otherwise what do they, they do at Wrestle Kingdom? That's why uh, Shingo and Sonada were my, one of my favourites to win, because like regardless of like, whether or not they win, you thought, well, Shingo's got a way to Wrestle Kingdom with that never title, but they've mentioned the possibility of what if Shingo wrestles two nights and two different title matches like just did last year. And so I thought, well, that's secure Sonata spot in Wrestle Kingdom, but you got to think the history is here with him and Evil and like, to put further credence on the idea of him coming out of Shell, like he got the hell beat on the outside and left, Shingo was left on a two-on-one, and then suddenly Sonata came back like you've never seen him before, just wouldn't let up on Evil, and they even continued to the backstage there, and there's like a video on the YouTube channel like during the backstage comments, like them having to be like kept apart and Dick Togo trying to keep evil away from Sonada. Yeah, I mean that that's a Sonada that I I don't think we've ever seen Sonada that fired up. Even even when he was going against like sort of Okada trying to get like the title from Okada and stuff like that. Like this is the most fired up and it it rightfully deserves its place on the Wrestle Kingdom card. It's uh, it'll, it'll be the third third singles meeting if I remember correctly. Yeah, because I think they said they'd only maybe fourth. I think no. Well, I think they had only two in the uh, before this year and like G ones, and then I think they've had a couple of runnings this year. You know, B block final, semi finals of the New Japan Cup. So I think that might even be the fourth or fifth meeting between the two. But this will be the most like yeah. story based around it because a lot of the times they face off, it just happens to be oh they're in the same tournament. Or this is the first to have a proper story with the betrayal of evil of. From LIG, uh, it's a match that I'm absolutely buzzing for, and you know, like they they did, they definitely they used World Tag League well in setting up so both some single stuff. We've got a tag title match set for Wrestle Kingdom. We've got God against Dangerous Techers, which I think could be a, an absolute show stealer of a match. Yeah, because like it's very rare a heel v heel match works out well, but you know, I think these two teams could could make it work. You know, you got Jado. And it says, you know, and Suzuki and are known for trying to bend the rules as well. And this is being confirmed for night one of a uh, Risk Kingdom 15. And like you said, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because, again, 
they talk about how decorated GOD are, but they've never won it. So at the Tokyo, they're always seem to be the team recently that the winners of World Tag League then have to topple, and now they're in the different position. Yeah, definitely, I agree with you there. And I mean, so I mean, that's we've we've covered a we've covered a fair whack, and but that we've only we're only one tournament in so far. But I think now's a good time to mention the second tournament. And to me, um, I'll I'll be honest, my particular favourite tournament of them all because it's possible one of my favourite tournaments. New Japan does outside the G One, the best of Super Juniors, and probably the the tournament that most people outside of New Japan hear about besides the G One. Um, you know, it had a it had a fairly stacked lineup, um, despite the fact that again it was a single block situation due to all travel restrictions, all other sorts of things. But um, obviously, the biggest sort of change they had in it was Kanemaru, one half of our junior heavyweight champions, unfortunately had to miss it due to injury. Still not heard about when he's coming back, and he was replaced by the absolutely fantastic young lion Yuya Yamura. What what did you think of that news, Scott? When that when that was broken out. I thought it was obviously a shame for for him, and like quite uh, ironic that you know it was, his, it was his partner last year, Desperado, who who got had to miss out, and he definitely made up for it, as we'll talk about in this tournament. But it was a shame that he had to miss out, and it was also quite sad because one of the things I was looking forward to about night one of the tournament was that it was set to be like uh, a rematch from Jingu Stadium of Kanemaru versus Wato. And so we then had to be replaced with Yamura. So it was sad for him. And also, it's kind of also thrown in some doubt what's going to happen with the junior tie titles. If they're even going to be on Wrestle Kingdom, because like, the timeline of his injuries is not determined. But, you know, Yamura did have some like good showings. Like, even like surprised me when he had that match against Ishimori on like the third night of the tournament. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, Yamura being in as a young lion, let's, let's be honest with you. We didn't really expect any any victories, unfortunately, but I'm not going to lie, it, it is a star-making performance for the young Lions when they get in there. <laughs> mm, yeah, like, and they don't expect, yeah, and they don't really expect them to get any wins, but it's the idea of like, seeing their development as it goes on. And it's quite interesting that like he got quite a bit of offense in on Watto, and I think that's the idea that maybe, because Watto is not long off coming from his not long being off a young line himself, that maybe why oh, he maybe struggled more than most against you, Amara. Yeah, I, I definitely think you've got a good point with that. Watto's this was his first best of Super Juniors, and I I felt honestly, I'll be honest, I was bold and thought that he might have made it to the finals going into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, clearly, I was wrong, but I don't know about you, but I, I feel that for his first best of Super Juniors, he, he didn't look out of place at all against even the most experienced the guys that were in there. Yeah, I mean, like, Esperado was on a bit of a, a roll when they, they stepped in the ring together and, like, he got that, what I felt was a bit of an upset one over Desperado and the fact that Desperado lost to him and took it, I thought I was hopeful for Kanemaru to be back in time because, like, that might set up that junior tag tail match I'd, I'd talked about before, you know, because of that Toguchi Wato team that we've seen in that in the tournament earlier in the year. But I think they, they made a, they really emphasised on Corinthian, especially Kevin Kiss thought about Master Rato, he's on the way to being the Grandmaster and the, and they said oh, he's, he's a master of many different styles well he, he's a practitioner of many styles but uh, he's not really a master of any one style and he was even using some of uh, Tenzan's old moves like that seemingly like, like, version of a Michinoku driver but he like drops to his knees so it's kind of like oh, the first time I saw it 
and Eve. And like the idea of like maybe focusing too much on like, impressing people like Tenzan than finding his own real style. And so the idea that he's back, he's got his new character, but he's still not the full version of Master Wattle yet. And he's still like finding his footing. But like you said, he didn't feel too out of place. You know, he even got wins over the likes of a uh, over like over uh, Robbie Eagles, which didn't even look too out of place. Yeah, I mean, his match with Robbie Eagles, I thought was absolutely fantastic, and and Eagles himself had a he really he had a, he had a brilliant best of Super Juniors. Yeah, he, he didn't he he didn't really come near the the final top figures, but you you could argue you could argue from being one of the most impressive for like just consistency and his quality of matches, almost like the 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 Ishii of the juniors for that for that BOSG. Maybe because Eagles. Uh, like he impressed me very quickly because I'd almost forgotten how good he was, given that I hadn't seen him since like February because he hadn't been able to come over like since he started running shows again. Uh, so this was his first real appearance. I joked that I forgot he existed, but he, I quickly remembered him. And like it was a really good narrative going th- through it that basically Gino would support anybody who who wasn't Robbie Eagles because like you have Robbie <laughs> Eagles coming up against like uh, against like Doki or whatever it was. See here, we got somebody, one of the future stars of New Japan, someone who's going to carry the division for years to come, and we've got Robbie Eagles. Despite <laughs> <laughs> the fact like he got like mathematically eliminated with a few days to go, and yet his performances didn't dwindle or anything. He still put in like quality matches. I think Eagles' best match by far, even though he had a good win against Wato, his best win is still against uh, Hirobu when Hirobu kind of mocked his like Robbie, Robbie, Robbie like chance <laughs> and. Which usually would be like a very heelish thing to do, but it just seemed so funny when it was Hiromu doing it. Yeah, I mean that that was absolutely outstanding, and yeah, I mean I am the same. I forgot how good Rob Eagles was. Um, you, you mentioned Hiromu there, and it would be it would be kind of rude not to mention the fact that did you find it weird that Hiromu had more main events than what Ishimori, the champion, did? <laughs> uh, in a sense, you know, they seem to make that into kind of a bit of a storyline because. Like Gino, as a Bullet Club member, every time that Ishimori wasn't in a main event or he was in a spot, he didn't find the fitness of Ishimori, the, the junior weight champion. Uh, he he would always bring it up and like they thought about maybe that's a bone of contention for Ishimori. He feels like he's got something to prove despite being a champion because he's not always in the main event. And the idea they put of like you may be the champion that doesn't automatically make you the ace in a sense, which I think we've seen in other companies where somebody is the champion. Although it doesn't automatically make them the top guy in the company's eyes. And maybe that's, I think we could see that uh, a rematch between Ishimori and Hiromu was coming. And it felt like maybe they were trying to just make more, ten- put more tension, more hatred between the two, more of an issue. Because also Ishimori hates the fact that uh, the fans and the company give more attention to Hiromu over him. And I think, given the fact, I think if they'd given Hiromu a few less main events, it would have made it a bit less obvious that he was the, the favourite to win it. Because, like I said, even before or the tournament started, it felt like so... I don't want to say obvious, but it did feel like this was her almost tournament to win, given he wasn't in like the G1. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm with you. I mean, you look at her almost almost every single main event. Um, you look at the stats for his matches, I've got them in front of me right now, and only three of his matches went less than 20 minutes. He pretty much had the most in-ring time of anyone in the entire tournament. The, the three that didn't go over 20 were 
Yuya, because let's face it, you're not going to have a young lion in a 20 minute main event. Um, uh, Wato was actually his quickest out of them all. He beat Wato quicker than he beat Yumura at 10 minutes and 30. And then uh, Doki, the guy who really, in theory, should get a better showing than he ever does, but again, comes out only four points, only two wins. Yeah. It's like, it's like they, they just use him as a battering, a battering thing for everyone. Yeah, a, a couple of points there. Before I go to Doki, I'll mention a bit of Romu. Uh, a really good point by, by Kevin Kelly is that he kind of made the comparison that uh, the way that Romu has been wrestling this tournament was the same way that Naito wrestled his matches in, uh, in the B block of the G1, and that he, because they both had the most time in their, their respective tournaments. So they pointed out that the difference between the two is that Naito kind of took his time in his matches, that's why they went so long and kept his flurry towards the end, whereas Romu goes full pelt like from the offset, doesn't change his style since his injury. And they pointed out that having longer matches with that style is probably going to be more physically draining, more physically taxing on Hiromu in the long term. I think that's why he got some some big losses towards the end of him, which helped to really get rid of some of the predictability because there was a point where, like, where if she would have gotten that big win on the last night, they would have gotten Hiromu out of the final altogether, which would have been a shock. And would have been like, well, shows that we know, because we were talking about oh, her own was the favourite. Uh, regards to Doki, you know, they actually did a good job making me care about Doki, because, like, especially in his match with Hiroma, because Doki accuses her of stealing a lot of his offence, and, like, Hiroma was doing that spot, like, that big centre off the, off the top to the outside. Uh, the fact that they basically said that other than other than you and Bora, they made out that the person less likely to get wins out of the established guys is probably Doki, with the exception of his, him probably getting a win over the, the young line. But then he got a win over Bushy, so it's good to see him get a, a win over an established guy. And just, just forever, I'll remember that they've, they changed the name almost to his finisher, the Italian stretch, because Kim Kelly, I think, once called it the Doki Choki on one night of the tournament. And Gino just started laughing and didn't even speak properly for the next five minutes. And then every night since, he just keeps saying, oh, Kevin, he's got it, the Doki Choki. And it'll now always, always be known as that. And he had Chris Charlton making uh, Doki puns. And the last night he goes, no, you know, Doki, locking in the Doki Choki, he's got to get one or he'll finish Doki Loki. You know, he's got to keep, make sure he keeps the job so he doesn't go Doki Brokey and just, uh, <laughs> the fact that this is becoming a thing if Doki doesn't finally you know, get, get some merch you know, get a Doki Choki shirt they've just missed on an opportunity yeah I mean, that, that was absolutely brilliant because I mean, even Gino himself shared like a tweet and it, the tweet was like JR has Baghad and uh, like Shiovoni's got it's Sting and then it cuts to a video it's the Doki Choki <laughs> and I was, I was in absolute and it was I was in absolute tears just this is this has no right to be as funny as what it is, but my god, it is hilarious. <laughs> it was just, it was just. I mean, I definitely came out of it caring more about Doki than what I did before, because before I always kind of saw him as just he, he took Desperado's place last year and didn't really make much of a dent. But despite not winning, I did care more about him this year than what I did last. He's he's grown on me. Um, and, that, and that that move, like funny name aside, it is a really good like submission move. Because like, I'm pretty sure there was a cool spot in a match, I believe it was with Show. He shows that does that move, the, like the shock arrow, like the, where he kind of ties the arms up and then does the powder. But Doki managed when he lifted him to flip out and pull him in and lock in the choke. 
which I think of the whole tournament is one of the best looking like counters that we saw. Yeah, I mean that's the way you can bring that in out of nowhere is absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic. And yeah, that one we show that well, that's going to stick out in my mind for a long time. Um, I mean, you look at look at the whole field. I mean, generally, like it is a very strong field. Some people had much better matches and much better sort of runs than others. Sure, I, I still <laughs> he's got to win the best of Super Junior someday. Surely, like at the performances he put on, he's consistent. I was actually I was actually surprised that he didn't make it to the final, but as you said, you know, it was kind of her almost turning to win the other oh, yeah. finalist. The other finalist I was more than buzzing about. I didn't expect him to make the finals because he has won half the junior tag champs, but let's talk El Desperado. What a tournament for him. Oh yeah, because we'll come back to show a bit later because as I argue with you, he is a future winner and we'll have some stuff to say about him uh, in a minute, but with Desperado, you know, he Obviously, he had that first match where he lost uh, with a sneaky roll-up to, to Gucci. But then going forward, you know, he made up for his next match. He beat Hiromu, not just by submission, by verbal submission in the main event of Kurgan Hall. And I think that kind of cemented in my mind that maybe this is where this is going to go because we had those like multiple losses by Boucher and Hiromu to Karamaru and Desperado. And then they had this match here and I thought this is what they're in the... Like, Perhaps I've got this other person in the junior division that Hiromu has issues with and has been struggling to beat this year. And then that's who Hiromu's going to have to beat to get to the to the final. And then you had you know, had him beaten, uh, you had him beat Ishimori, you had him beat, uh, I think he beat Sho. And then, like, yeah, he lost to like, the likes of Master Wattle, but he went through a hell of a run. Uh, to, you know, you had Bushi given one of the performances of his, his life, you know, like, Sometimes people forget about Bushi, but they mention like he's had matches like the Kushida and Will Osprey, and this was similar that kind of thing where you see that side of Bushi you don't always see in the the finals, where like if he he had a chance to knock Desperado out of contention for the final if he beat him at, on the final match of the best of Super Juniors, but he just fell short, and it felt like it was destined to be Desperado versus Desperado versus Hiromu. And, the fact that he was coming out with both belts every night and not just his own belt, you know, kind of representing Kanemaru as well. As I said at the start, you know, he well been made up for the fact that he lost, he missed out last year's tournament because, like, you know, I think ever since, like, Japan, New Japan came back, he's challenged for the Never title and a hell of a match against Shingo. He's won back the, the tag belts and he's made it to the finals of the best of Super Junior Style. He's one of the few people that's had a great 2020. Yeah, I mean, that's El Desperado has more than made up for how much he momentum he lost last year. He's it was definitely a sort of like yeah, he's match like Hiromu as well with things like the uh, I love the spot when it was like Hiromu's pretty much saying hit me with the chair and he, he makes it look like he's going to do it, chucks it down. It's like no, no. Then he rattles him right in the knee with it and started the whole as it was brought through the whole tournament. Hiromu's knee, the fact mm. that that was absolutely battered, senseless in the first night, and it was just it was crazy, but. I don't know if you noticed it, but like both tournaments, when you come down to their points and their tiebreaker situations, then both tournaments, the champ just the champs just miss out by tiebreaks. Yeah, and I think that is important because you don't want the champion. Like, the champion's got to take a couple of losses, and it's usually based on who's beaten the champion. Like that's how Evil and Sonata got to the decided match in the B plot thing because they both got wins over Naito, and so like it was good that the champions had very few losses. The only the champions lose to people that either they had like future potential in or who were going to the final. 
because like I could uh, with Show's performance after like Show beat Hiromi, which I never saw coming. Like I could have actually have seen him beating Ishimori, and he came so close to it. Like I said, you'll never actually, you know, you very rarely get the the champion in the final. The idea of like making the champion just miss out that means that like yeah, this person won the tournament, but like the champion is still a viable like contender, and that's why. This person has to is, who won the tournament is going to have to work hard to get the belt off of them. So you don't want to devalue your champions in the process. Yeah, no, they've done a great job. When you look at the Ishimori, only had two losses, and those two losses were only to the guys that made the final, Desperado and Hiromu. It, it yeah. definitely shows, you know, it, it's a strong showing for Ishimori regardless. Um, like, it, it just feels out. like he got, he got shortchanged. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Like he, I thought it's weird that he hasn't actually won the tournament. You know, he came close, ironically, to winning it in his first tournament, and he lost to Hiromu. As they talk about how that's, I think, still the longest match in uh, Junior's history. But I think going f- at some point, uh, I think Ishimori will be around for a good few years, uh, and I think he will eventually win the tournament. And maybe they'll play it as part of the storyline that maybe one year with Hiromu's champion, and then he wins the tournament, and they carry on this idea of like. Feeling like he's been overlooked in favour of Hiromu. Uh, you talk about the, the champions, you know, Dangerous Techers lost to obviously Finches and G.O.D. I think the only other team that they lost to was uh, Shingo and Sanada. Well, so even though they didn't make the final, they're still a viable team and it established them as a potential dark horse team. So every loss for a champion in these tournaments had a purpose behind it. Yeah, and that's that's the clever thing with the booking. And if anything, the, the ultra focus with it being single blocks for both tournaments compared to your your two blocks, where you can sometimes feel like some people are making up the numbers to kind of keep things moving along. But this one, to me, we've talked about World Tag League, we've talked the finals there. But what about that final for Best of Super Juniors, El Desperado and Hiromu? That match was. I'll be honest. At this point in time, it is my match of twenty twenty. That is, that is very fair, you know. I mean, I hadn't watched uh, the finals of the, the Super Juniors uh, before. I sent, when I sent you that message about the World Tag League final, I'd had the, the New Japan World pause. I was about to watch the, the Super Junior final, and you'd, like, I tell you, I hadn't watched it yet, so obviously you didn't spoil it for me. But you were telling me about how it was incredible and that, and I was worried, like, is this going to meet the expectation that Grant has just set? And I loved it, you know. You felt personal between these two, like given everything that happened before the tournament, the way that Desperado just went after the knee in their first match, and like the verbal submission, kind of almost the humiliation of Hiromu must have felt uh, when he lost. And then, as you mentioned, Hiromu, like using Time Bomb 2 once or twice in this tournament, and like I think he used it to help him here. I think one of the only other times he used it in the tournament. I thought like these guys just run with regular time bomb and then just bust out the second one in the final. I'm pretty sure he used time bomb two on I think it was Wato. I think it was the Eagles. It was the Eagles, like I can't remember who it was, but I think I think it was like I think it was I know it was a younger guy, but I thought like that, that's there's a statement there, like even though like Huron was beating you, he had to bust out his his like finish that he doesn't use that often in order to, to beat you. Even though you're not going to win the tournament, there's a statement there of like you took the favourite to win the tournament to the limit. Uh, so I think it was a, a good little use of it. But yeah, the match and like again and like going into it, I was like it's probably going to be Hiromu uh, who wins. And 
yeah, Desperado using nefarious means and the idea of like these about red shoes and all these. He's got a bit of a long leash and especially in a match like this, he doesn't want the finals to end by like a referee, referee stoppage or by a DQ. And then Hiroma goes mental and rips the mask. And I told you, as soon as that happened, I thought, okay, all bets are off. I have no idea what's happening going forward. Yeah, I mean, as soon as like Hiromu, like had him down on the ground and then like actually tore the mask, I was like, "Hang on, Hiromu, that that you know, if you pull the mask off, you're risking a DQ here. Like, what what has he pushed you to do?" But then it's how Desperado handled it. He kind of like Hiromu kicked his head a little bit and then he just stood up and went, "Ah, oh, well, you've already ripped half it off. Just takes off the rest of the mask." Um, if you look at Twitter's reactions, everyone's first reaction was. Holy shit, he is a handsome bugger. <laughs> and it was the the look on his face when he just kinda looked at Horror kinda gave the little wag of the fingers as if to say, Right, you little fucker, you've asked for this and started <laughs> to lay into him. Absolutely. The, the crowd reaction, they're not meant to make any noise, but my god, they made sound for that. Oh yeah, like there were times where even the fans forget despite the restrictions, they like they they get sucked into the moment. They, they can't help but make a bit of noise and like the idea of like he started pulling I thought oh I thought usually you expect them to like like get stopped and like maybe not pull a thing it would just be a bit of a tear but no he probably ripped off like the top half of the mask half of the mask and like there's barely any covering and so this I just like fuck it and like he said just takes it off and like even if he hadn't taken off like you'd still see most of his face and yeah it's as commentary pointed out and everybody on Twitter like he's a he's a, he's a really good looking man and the idea that the commentator said that no, I don't think he should put the mask on. He's feeling like he's like people see his face, and like yeah, I don't know why I expected to see, but that was I was not expecting Desperado to be so good looking under that mask. I mean, I I love the fact because like pretty much everyone said for the for the rest of that match, it wasn't El Desperado wrestling in there. It was Kioski Mikami. It was the man under the mask that wrestled the rest of it, and it was. One of the most brutally physical matches I think I've seen um, in quite a while. Like the, there was just, uh, it was, I, th- I think one spot that particularly scared the living bejesus out of me was Desperado clinging to the bottom rope and Hiromu flew through those ropes to try and hit the sunset bomb. I mean, launched himself like a dart and Desperado clung on for the and Hiromu just hit the deck and I was like, oh my God, that's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. Because like, I thought about the idea of like they set up an issue between these two before the tournament even started, and uh, a running theme through this was Doki and Desperado. They said that the commentary claimed that commentator said that they have an issue with the likes of Wato and Hiromu because Desperado and Doki like had a hard time trying to make it in Mexico, and the likes of Hiromu and Wato were sent there in, in the excursion, and they got the red carpet rolled out for them, so that gave them a bit of resentment and you really felt it in these because as soon as the mass was it all you felt like this isn't just about like winning the tournament winning a, a trophy this is like personal between these two and even like when Haromu like did took a page of Desperado's but and laid in the, the punch that Desperado uses and just like they both just collapsed afterwards it was like a hell of a moment and I said that the, the counter from Doki on a show uh, was one of the best counters of the whole tournament I think uh, it, it just falls short to the counter that, that Hiromu had here. Like, he got locked in the stretch buffer and somehow manages to reverse it into a destroyer. Like, I can't even imagine the scenario where Hiromu thinks of that and then pitches that to Desperado. 
I know you, you're just going to be thinking backstage, like it must be like the weirdest. So like, right, you're going to put me in the muffler, okay? But I'm going to turn it into a destroyer. Pardon? <laughs> yeah. How do like, you do this? <laughs> you know, some wrestlers like to call it and um, moves in the ring. Like, how do you call a muffler into a into a Canadian destroyer in the ring? Because if you're calling that in the ring, you've got to think there's a moment where this Brado doesn't know what's happening and decides, I need to go with this, and then flips back. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, exactly. That's why all of like Desperado's kind of like two main finishers, the Pinchy Loco, and that kind of like that stretch muffler. I think they call, call it like Dos Dos something. I, I really need to remember the name of it. But that submission when he locks in the muffler, but actually gets the, the hands locked as well. It looks so painful. It really looks horrific. I think I think numero dos. I think is what it's called. And like yeah, the is idea that, like it's painful enough. Where he's got the one hand, but then like there was that fight from Hiromu to make sure that Desperado didn't get the second hand to force like, a verbal submission like he had done in their first match in the tournament. And like the, there's a moment where they, a lot of the heels, with the exception of Yano, used the exposed turnbuckle and Desperado was one of them. And uh, so the turnbuckle was exposed at one point and it felt like, you know, Chekhov's got it at some point it has to be coming to play. And part of me thought, Hiromo likes to do that, Death Valley driver into the turnbuckle. He's going to do it into the exposed buckle. And then he did... And then that's what led into the fact that you could properly see Desperado just cling his back because I'm pretty sure he even got cut a little bit. And you know, I think that like there's no way to protect yourself from really that's just all pain in his back. And then also sitting up for the time bomb too, like just everything about this match. You know, they had a, it took its time. It's got more time than the World Tag League final. And then obviously we talk about matches going into that second or third gear. This went all the way up as soon as they had the spot with the mask. Yeah, I mean that's this this match. It just it perfectly shows it going through the gears. It just went all all out for it. It was it was it was yeah. It was my match of the tournament. Like it was just crazy. Like just over thirty minutes, and they left it all in there. And let's let's think. I mean, it, it led us to the Super J Cup because I don't know about you, but I wasn't expecting that sort of a challenge that Hiromu put at the end of it. I I thought he would be going straight for the title. The more I talk about this, the more I'm realising maybe you're right. That not only is this match a tournament, maybe this is one of the best matches in 2020 from New Japan. Because, like, I think basically the last couple of days, the, the, Super, the best of the Super Juniors helped uh, overtake World Tag League for me because World Tag League for a while was the more interesting tournament because I thought I had more contenders. But then as soon as Desperado and Show got on a roll, it got interesting for me. And then honestly, like, I wouldn't have been. Maybe because the match was so good, maybe part of me wouldn't even mean disappointed if Desperado somehow won. But yeah, then Hiromu kind of pauses during his like post-match event. He's like, oh, he's going to call out uh, Ishimori. That was shot that there wasn't anything post-match between G.O.D. and Dangerous Techers. They just went to the back and then did their pre-match, the post-match like, comments. But I was expecting Ishimori to come out. They were going to air their issues and then that would help set up for, for Wrestle Kingdom. But then what happens is he starts and says, like, I want to face whoever wins the Super Jacob because I don't want there to be any doubt who the best junior heavyweight is. Yeah, and that challenge, to me, I was like, right, he's made that challenge. There's only, like, two people I can see possibly winning the Super Jacob now to answer that challenge. Um, but <laughs> going on Super going on Super Jacob, like, let's talk about that. The, uh, the whole one-night format, that was it was actually a really stacked night when you looked at it. Yeah, because like I said, 
this happened on the 11th. I might have actually watched it the day it happened. Uh, like, I think I don't think I watched the, the December 6th show till like 7th or the 8th. So I had a couple of days rest and then had a bit of a respite, a day's respite between the two tournaments, which helped me. Like I sat down like, right, I'm ready to finally watch another full night of wrestling, another bloody tournament. And yeah, I think I mentioned to you that for the most part, I really enjoyed the tournament apart from one of the first round matches. You know, the I get why you had those tag matches in the middle to kind of like give you a break of the tournament, but I think overall they didn't do much for me. But you know, I know it was, it was a hard act to follow after the ending of the best of Super Juniors, but for the most part, I was a I was a big fan of the Super J Cup. Yeah, I was I was a fan of it as well. It, it didn't quite fit the same as the best of Super Juniors, but at the same time, we've got to appreciate one night, you know. The, the pace is going to be completely different and its style is going to be different. Um, I love the, the mixture of talents as well. We had impact guys, we had we had complete free agents, we had established New Japan guys. It was you know, looking at the first round matches uh, that I think we're both in agreement. I think we talked about this before. Like the the Clark Connors one wasn't exactly the best of the first round matches. Yeah, because like nothing against Clark Connors. You know, he's in there with Chris Bay, who's a Phenomenal talent, you know. The same day that this happened, you know, we had final resolution where he was challenging Rich Swan uh, for the for the world title, and a match I haven't watched yet, but I've heard it's excellent. So you know, you got two big future stars here. But I think the issue was that Clark Corn as well, technically a junior, he's not a junior in the sense that every a lot of the other guys are, because all the other guys, including Crispy, are more likely to take risks and go to the top rope, whereas. Clark Connors still being in the young line system is more, you know, traditional power base, you know, basics wrestling. And so there was a bit of a clash there because, yeah, the first five minutes was a lot of headlocks. And I think it was obvious that Chris Bay was going to win. So I think it was just a styles issue. Uh, but I see why Connors was in the, the tournament. But I think from there onwards it picked up because they complimented the, the, the blend of styles and like TJP, BACH immediately picked up the tone of the tournament because, you know, that was a bit more technical than you'd expect it to be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, ACH and TJP, uh, I enjoyed that match. Loved watching TJP get beat since he's one of these crazy anti-mask microchip people. We're all sheep, so <laughs> thank you, New Japan, for not letting them win that first round. Thank you, Gero. Big fan. Um, I mean, a- ACH is... He's obviously he's had a lot of controversy over the last like sort of year or so after everything that happened in WWE. But I think people sometimes forget he's always been a brilliant wrestler. Like he's been in previous best of Super Juniors tournaments, and he, he is an absolute delight to watch in the ring. The man can go. You know, you're telling me that TGP is anti mask. Makes it funnier that apparently he's brought back his ban his manic character who wears a mask and impact. Which part of me thinks is that a rib on him? Like you don't like wearing masks, but you're gonna wear a mask. Okay, <laughs> it's the same as it's the same as Flip Gordon. He's the bloody same. Does like doesn't wear masks, but goes out with his gimmick wearing a mask. So really, these two need to become Ring of Honor, put them together. You know, we can all laugh at them together. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I think if you're a mostly NXT WWE fan, then your only exposure to ACH would have been through the Breakout Tournament. You know that match with Adam Cole. And then also all the controversy that came around his, his departure. And so I think if you're one of those people who is like watching stuff in New Japan for the first time, this tournament would have went a long way in establishing like ACH, just showing you how great he is outside of all that. 
like you know, he had a unique finish where he countered TGV's attendance suplex with that top row like cup buster, and then immediately Cowboy didn't waste the time right back up on the top rope and hits the 450. So, and then also he shot after that he has the the back injury. I think he's in his second round match, which then creates a great narrative for him going forward in the tournament. And then we see who he was against. You know, who was acting like a right bastard. Like the best <laughs> thing about this tournament, I can say that you know it's all in one night. But the whole throughout the entire night, they gave you a clear narrative to follow, which I like about a good tournament. Yeah, a good tournament should still have like it should be easy to establish who you want to go behind, who you want to who you want to dislike, and you know, the person that you dislike should generally go that wee bit further as well. And I mean, before we go to that one particular person we're talking about in their opening round match, it would be it would be be rude not to mention Blake Christian and Ray Horace. Who, oh. That was brilliant. What that? <laughs> that was this was like the surprise of the first round. Like I couldn't believe just how much I, I loved this match. And what was notable about the first round is that each match got a bit longer as it went on because like Clark Connors, Chris Bait went about just over five minutes, around six minutes. Whereas uh, the match after this went close to the very close to the fifteen minute mark, and I think the finals went. Uh, between 15 and 20 minutes so like progressively they were getting a bit longer as the tournament went on and yeah this was a hell of a match you know Ray Horse you know teams like the Bandido and that and, and Ring of Honor and Blake Christian we've seen a lot on New Japan Strong uh, I think this is not the first time that we've seen Blake Christian injuries nose but he really showcased that he's nicknamed All Heart he still managed to pick, out, pick up the win and he became kind of almost a favourite of mine through the, just this one match and uh Something like outside of the Clark Corners match because it didn't go so long. Like it was smart of the commentators to point out like how much these guys gave in their first round matches, and the idea of like is that a smart idea when you've got two more matches to wrestle? Yeah, I mean that's that's thing when you say like uh, if you're doing like a an all sort of like a tournament where you've got multiple matches in the one night for yourself, when you're potentially pulling triple duty in this situation, but they just threw all caution to the wind and. I mean, I've I've had the I've had the joy of seeing Ray Horace live a few times, and you know sometimes he gets overshadowed by some of the other kind of like Mex Mexico squad guys like Bandido and stuff like that. But do, do not underestimate Horace is fantastic, and Blake Christian is just a breakout star this year. He is. I think this has been a great thing for some of these kind of newer high flyers that are really, perhaps they have been around for a little bit longer, but they are really getting exposure through the likes of New Japan Strong and. GCW, so it's it's a fantastic thing to see these guys getting that exposure. And yeah, like the broken nose, like his nose just seems to get battered every time. So it's, it's like he doesn't like it. Yeah, because I think he already came in with his elbow wrapped up from an other injury that he, he they said he suffered a, a GCW event a few days earlier. And you know, I think Blake Christian after this is somebody who New Japan need to like get their finger out and like keep like sign this guy, like get him like uh, down. And like, make sure he doesn't get mixed. Like someone like an Alex Zane did, or somebody else right. like that. Like, make sure that because like with performance like this, it's going to be a matter of time before some other promotion tries to get him. And I think they need to keep him around as part of the junior division going forward. Yeah, I agree with you. If they do not capitalise on that, they are missing on a huge. We've we've lost Alex Zane already. I don't want to us to keep losing like potential future like big stars for the junior division. Yeah, because like Daniel Limelight was in a time match in the show, you know, you you got you're gonna need to keep him around because like at the minute he keeps popping up in AEW on Bloody Dark, you don't know, get squashed by like the Brian Cage, 
when and when from looks of it, he looks like he's getting an actual storyline on a NJPW strong. Ah, it definitely looks that way, and you know we've we've covered three first round matches, but let's cover to me the highlight first round match and the match that I was most excited for going into this. We've got that absolute bastard El Fantasmo against Leo Rush, the man of the hour. Mm-hmm. Holy hell, holy hell. I absolutely yeah. love this. You know, they could have easily done it where they had like them on opposite ends of the bracket and meet in the final. But the fact that they put this in the first round, like I think you and I like said it that whoever wins this match automatically becomes the tournament favourite. And like it was a hell of a match. It could have went either way. The idea of like Leo Rush coming in to uh, to prove himself after he's been with from WWE and El Fantasma wanting to be like the back to back winner and the fact that El Fantasma had to resort to like low blows and that in order to get the win over Leo Rush, I think, protected Rush. And I, I doubt I doubt we will see we won't see him again, you know. He'll definitely be back. And maybe he'll be like you'll win a tournament like this going forward, maybe we'll see him in next year's best as Super Juniors. Uh, but what I loved about EOP, he did an interview going into this, uh, I think with Kevin Kelly saying like, oh, I've, I've composed this brand new entrance theme song, I'm going to debut at the Super Jacob, <laughs> comes out, uh, he has not been paid enough money for the license of music, therefore every time he comes out, they mute the commentary, they mute the music because he's not given permission to use this song. I thought that was absolutely outstanding. Outstanding, like what a pure, like heel bastard move to do. And I was in hysterics at because you could even hear Kevin Kelly like be like, "What? What do you mean we've not paid you enough? What is going on here?" <laughs> yeah, like it, Kevin Kelly throughout the whole night, like you got you thought you thought he would probably have a heart attack. He was getting just so wound up by everything <laughs> El Fantasma did, like because he credited his wrestling, but just like. Like even EOP told that I've been wrestling for 15 years, but I've only really been trying for the last two. <laughs> what an absolute arsehole. I mean, I think he, he almost he almost had a couple of close calls. Leo Rush pulling out some some really innovative offence. Like I think it was like one of them was like the kind of springboard cutter where he bounced himself off the bottom rope, and I was like, that's a new one I've not seen before. <laughs> yeah, because I, I briefly brought this up in episode Central a few weeks ago, where I talked about this is the perfect place to see Leo Rush in one of his first prominent uh, like outside of WWE appearances, because like it looked like before he got released, the fact that he was in the cruiserweight division, that WWE had finally found the perfect role for him. Because like I'm not saying he can't like do other things, but like he is clearly one of the better junior heavyweight wrestlers like going right now. And I think like New Japan keeping around long term for the junior division like allows him to fully use his talents and like it provides all sorts of like dream matches. Yeah, I mean, the, the way like Leo, like, before the tournament aired and after Hiromu, when he, he kept on tweeting, like, Hiromu, we're going to have a match. And I was like, please, please <laughs> give me Hiromu versus Leo Rush, because that, that could be absolutely mind-blowing. And don't get me wrong, I think it is going to happen someday, because Leo's... I love the fact that he's found his love for wrestling again. He admitted that he, he kind of thought he was going to be done after WWE, but... He's went back, he's had a few great barnstormers in GCW. In fact, I think one of his last ones is actually for free on YouTube. And I've not watched it yet, but I've heard multiple people telling me it is a must-see match, so I will be getting that watched. And this tournament's just more cemented how impressed I am with him and how he's carried himself since. Hmm. Yeah, he's he's really... He's also started appearing in MLW as well, I think. So 
like the sky's the limit for him. But as soon as El Fantasmo won, I think automatically thought maybe they are going to go for the back-to-back year, especially if like Kuromu is sending out this challenge. Because I know I would have loved to see you know, like a Chris Bay or a Leo Rush v Hiromu. I think when you think about just outside the realms of just being a match, if you think about a story, someone like El Fantasmo taking that match against Kuromu makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it definitely does, and I mean, we had quite like sort of like the first round matches were all kind of like the first couple under ten minutes, then we had twelve minutes, fifteen and a half. But I like the way they broke up the pace by making the semi-finals actually quite brief, almost sprints, mm-hmm. to kind of preserve the pace. Um, ACH and Chris Bay, I, I, I felt that was a fantastic match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is where you started to see like the issues with ACH's back, which would be a major factor in the final. And like that, that was another one that could have went either way, him versus Chris Bay. But yeah, they kept it short, but hell of a match. And like I think this made up for the fact that was disappointing for Chris like first round match. But you know, I think either of these, I think it seems likely that ELP would go to the final. So either of these two v ELP, I thought will be a hell of a final. But the thing with like Blake Christian's matches, like they emphasise like doctors don't want him in this match, but he's went ahead anyway. The fact that ELP beat him with a super kick made a lot of sense rather than using his finisher because the idea like you've got a potentially broken nose and like you're you're even hurting yourself by doing his own moves like he did a shooting star but he's hit his face off the mat which further injured him stopped him from really capitalising so a guy kicks you in the face probably a super kick is run about the nose area so like from a realist from like being quite realistic you know even though all these guys have been doing like flips and that. Like it's good to see about realism. Like, yeah, the super kick with a guy with a broken nose should be enough to finish him. Yeah, exactly. And it's something that we don't see enough of. Like, you hear people like trying to big up these, like, sort of like someone's taking a move, but like the next like two days of a tournament, they're not selling it. And I think a bunch of us we all kind of discussed it in the big group chat where we talked about um, Pat McAfee, seller mm-hmm. of the year, <laughs> coming on to his own show. <laughs> The next day after war games, completely unrelated, nothing to do with wrestling, wearing a neck brace. <laughs> you just don't yeah. get selling like that in the business. So to see the Blake Christian Elf and that like the super kick to win it, beautiful move, really genius. Yeah, it's a really good like way of storytelling and like the idea like despite the fact that you know his nose was an issue, like Blake Christian like blood up again to his name all heart, and he just like fell short. And the idea of like, oh, what if he hadn't had that broken nose? Maybe he would have had a chance against DLP, so he doesn't really lose anything. And in fact, I think Blake Christian looks better losing to DLP than he would have done if he actually won. Yeah, I, I think I think you've got it right in the money there. You know, like he didn't have anything to lose by actual losing. If anything, he gained it. It made him look look a top star. And that's the thing. If if you can make someone look a star in defeat. The sky's the limit for them, really. Mm-hmm. But then that leads us to well, we, we did have a tag match, which was we, we've kind of mentioned this already. The tag matches they were there really to break things up. It was nice seeing Ren Narita again. He's he's starting. It looks like he's making a lot of progress under Shibata. But let's face mm-hmm. it, if you're under Shibata, you really should be anyway, because he is one hell of a trainer. Yeah. And they, they really mentioned the fact that when he went right for Kenta during the match, the idea of you know, Kenta, uh, he cemented his heel turn by turning on Shibata. And the idea that like, he's a trainee of Shibata, like going after him, trying to avenge, get a bit of vengeance against Kenta was a nice touch. 
you know, I was kind of disappointed in the other like tag match because it was like JR Kratos and Daniel Limelight who apparently on uh, New Japan Strong started forming a new group alongside uh, uh, Filthy Tom Lawler, you know, Team Filthy and Daniel Limelight turned on a uh, attack joined by turning on Rocky Romero when it looked like Rocky Romero was trying to recruit Daniel Limelight to, to chaos and you know, I had Fred Roster and Rocky Romero against uh, team filthy. I was kind of disappointed because, like, I think it was with a couple of days in advance, they ran away and said, "Oh, it's Jr. Kratos versus and Daniel Emily." When originally they said, "Well, it's actually going to be originally I think it was built as filthy Tom Waller was going to be with team with Daniel Limelight and now sad I didn't get to see uh, filthy Tom because you know I know they like Carl Frederick was meant to be team with Renarita, but you know, they said that he got injured, but they didn't give any reasons to why well the filthy Tom wasn't around because. No, no offense to Gr Kratos. I'm sure, like there, he's got his fans out there. He's probably been working for a long time. But to me, it just looked like you know when you order Lord Tensai off of Wish.com. <laughs> Lord Tensai off Wish. Oh man, I'm never going to unsee that now. That that was yeah. always going to. He had the similar like goatee. He had like the black and red gear on. Like I couldn't unsee it. All he was missing was the writing across his face. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. You, you've got to write in the money there. Can cannot argue that. <laughs> and it was you know it was like as we say the tag matches were there just to really do their point. But let's talk the final. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's talk what that bloody bastard done to that trophy right at the beginning. Oh jeez, yeah, because like. I didn't realise that as well as the trophy, you got a jacket with it. Uh, they got the gold jacket, and which reminded me a lot of like the gold jacket from that from Happy Gilmore. And part of me like wanted AOP to lose, so you so he could then do a shoot with McGavin and try and steal the jacket anyway. And you got then the entire roster of like New Japan Strong just chasing after him to get it back. But yeah, they, he comes out. He's using the trophy. He's breaking apart the trophy to use as a weapon on. ECH's back to try and work him over and and then he tries to like power bomb through the table but he manages to avoid that. And then like yeah, you were it set up a good like story for the match because like again you knew he said he had a back injury. Then the fact that EOP not only attacked him beforehand, but then used the trophy to do it and basically again like disgraced the trophy and like disrespected the tournament and they got like, Oh, this is a tournament that Liger invented and everything, like he's just like just a lot of disrespect from from ELP, and he talks about the fact that Liger, I think, is the last person to win back to back Super J Cups. And talk about the idea, like, what do you think Liger thinks about having to share that distinction possibly with this guy? And then, yeah, and then he had ELP yelling up at the commentary table, just saying, like, where, where the hell is Liger now? He's at home playing with his toys or whatever. I know, and I'm glad that it's sort of like they did manage to have like. ELP get a lot of heat on it without the same incident that happened last year. I don't know if you were aware or remembered what happened last year where ELP said a bit of a slur that he shouldn't have. Uh, a, word that, a word that I'm not going to repeat on there, I can tell you that. Yeah, I didn't hear anything about it, but I did know that he disrespected, that like, he broke the trophy last year as well after he won it and kind of disrespected Liger when they, when they presented it to him. But uh, I didn't know anything about any. Uh, any slurs, but I think he, they probably had a strong. Some officials probably had some really strong words for him after, like, "Don't do that, I fucking get." Oh yeah, it's like last year he, he called Will Osprey something, which um, very much it, it, it was one of those things that 
they had to actually put out an apology for. It was that bad. So I was glad that he was able to kind of contain his mouth this time because, you know, there's no denying that ELP is a fantastic, proper bastard of a heel. And in fact, I think one of my favourite images from the whole tournament is, did you notice that he had severe Homer Simpson energy when he was kind of running in a circle on the floor? <laughs> uh, I, don't think, I don't think I remember that, but mind you, I've, I've had so much I've had to remember in preparation for this show. Uh, the way ELP wrestles, it feels like a lot like like old school bullet club, like just not caring about the traditions of New Japan. They're the, like the outsiders, and they'll just do whatever the hell they want. Yeah, and that, that's that's it. Like for a while, I think Bullet Club had that. Like they had the really proper heel era, and then we had the elite come in. Bullet Club became cool. Let's face it, it exploded everywhere. It was you couldn't avoid it as a wrestling fan. Bullet Club was everywhere. It feels like Bullet Club is going back to its roots with Jay White's shenanigans, Evil's shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Really, it's just just what they were always renowned for. It's like. Like I rewatched some of the old Carl um, Anderson and Doc Gallows tag stuff, and like yeah, they were a great team, but there was also a, a shit ton of shenanigans all the time. Yeah, because like it's weird. Like Bill Club now has like three heel managers in the one group. You've got Dick Togo for Evil. Uh, you've got Jado who mainly comes out for DOD matches, and then you've got Gado always in the corner of Jay White, which sometimes feels a bit overkill, especially like, when you had uh, Evil. And Yujiro versus G.O.D. in the Super in the World Tag League, so you had the two heel managers on the outside, basically one trying, you know, one trying to like cancel the other out. And I think you know it's it's a very like this is very much a very strong time for Bullet Club because it was Luke Gallows shared a very interesting image which showed World Tag League, G.O.D.'s on top. You go to AEW, the Young Bucks are on top, and then you look at Impact and who's on top, the Good Brothers. Yep. And it did also make me think I imagine how crazy it good it would be If you got a triple threat tag team match With those three teams <laughs> I mean The possibility of Bucks v uh, Good Brothers Is starting to become more likely With you know the early developments That are happening right now Between Impact and AEW But going back to the, the, the tournament like, Part of me is like you know, The way that EOP is just working over ACH It makes you kind of think traditionally that ECH is gonna come back and like get defy the odds because uh, I don't I'm not saying that ECH versus Harum wouldn't be a good match it would be but you know honestly I think he'd, he'd probably still have the injury going into that match which means he's probably unlikely to win against Harumu and again they're injecting Wheelers into it like the guy's taking as much punishment realistically he probably shouldn't win and while for some it may seem like an anticlimactic end and I think in the long term given that this means he's gonna go on a face a Romu ELP winning back to back and then getting to rub in the fact that he won back to back and despite the fact he doesn't even care about the tournament or the trophy, you know, I'm hopeful for next year's tournament that he's in it again. But this time like maybe he gets he gets put out in the first round by somebody and this is like he's come up and it's like, ha, like you're not gonna disrespect the tournament this year. <laughs> yeah, it was I was, I can definitely agree with you on that and to me, they did they did do the wise choice when you knew it was when we saw El Phantasmo in the final. Let's face it, El Phantasmo v Hiromu in the dome on night one. Winner goes on to Ishimori. It sets up a very interesting dynamic because you're either going to have Hiromu come in and have a belt of a match with um, with Ishimori, or we're going to have ELP views Ishimori in a in a 
Bullet Club vs Bullet Club Final, which could still have its own interesting story merits by the fact that they were former tag champs together. Mm-hmm. That's all about the idea. Like, it was unlikely that Ishimori would have won Best of Super Juniors, but if he did, then uh, maybe they had this idea of like, oh, El Fantasmo's won the Best uh, Super Jacob. We're both in Bullet Club, but let's see who let's see who the best junior heavyweight is. Again, that we've won the two major junior heavyweight tournaments, and the idea, I think, the idea of potentially seeing that match still is, is gonna may happen. And it's, it's fitting that they chose Wrestle Kingdom to do it because I thought they might do that. Because it's now over two nights again. Like the only other time I could have thought they would do it was maybe on one of the Road to Wrestle Kingdom shows. Uh, so one of the Road to Tokyo Dome shows that they're having uh, right before Christmas. But I think a match like that is a bit too big for one of those shows. You need to have it on the biggest show of the year. And uh, I think I've seen that like they start those shows on the 15th, but only the 21st, 22nd, 23rd Road to shows are actually going to be. Uh, t- uh, televised and put on uh, re- new and put on New Japan World. Yeah, that's. I've been looking at that um, since you mentioned that. I've managed to get a brief look at it, and yeah, I mean, we've had let's say we've had three stacked tournaments to talk there, and while we will be doing a Wrestle Kingdom preview, it, I think it would be remiss if we didn't at least discuss one or two of the things that are going to be coming up for for it, and one match in particular that you mentioned to me, which probably has the best setup of them all. Bad Luck Valley and Toru Yano for the King of Pro Wrestling. Yeah, because like they thought the idea like that Toru Yano like being crowned King of Pro Wrestling for the year twenty twenty and how good that would be. But then like they had the match, uh, they had a six man tag against Bullet Club, and the final night of the tournament, the super did the match. The fucking hell, <laughs> I know words. Good. Then they had that six-man tag chaos v Bullet Club on the World Tag League and Super Juniors final, where post match the bloody heels they they went and broke that that trophy. All those little scamps, and like <laughs> it seems to be that Yano was obsessed with trying body slam Fally, and so they set this match up for one of the Road Two shows. So unlike the final show of the year to determine who is going to be declared King of Pro Wrestling for the year 2020, and I think it's written in. I think it's already been pre-written that maybe this will be a, some sort of body slam challenge, which uh, I don't see going Yano's way, but you never know. You can never count him out. Uh, it's mostly like tag six-man or eight-man tag matches. You know, you got, you know, like, there's going to be a tag match with Naito and Ibushi in the main event in the final night of this Road 2 show, and then you've got a team led by Jay White going against the team against Naito the night before, I think. But at some point, I think the second last show, uh, Juice Robinson and Kenta are going to be on opposite ends of a tag match. So maybe that's where they maybe set up the match for Wrestling them, uh, where the winner gets the uh, that right to challenge briefcase. I think you're right there, and I actually double checked, and we mentioned about we were wondering about Kanemaru, and it looks like Kanemaru is back as well. Well, there you go. We can then maybe set something up for the for the junior tag champs. And we have. We have my we have the the junior tag champs with Suzuki against Tenzan and you know what you know what I've I've given this team their new name it's Taguchi Amato it is the Ass Masters. Oh, oh so, sorry, something I might have mentioned when we talked about the, the Super Juniors in general. We saw far too much of of Taguchi's arse. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't see matches based on being best friends. The fact that his arse got pulled out 
not once, but I think twice. And then before he finally started wearing like underpants underneath his gear, and then the fact that even when his, his trunks got pulled down, he would still he, he wouldn't pull them up for the rest of the match, or like he'd walk to the he was walking to the back with his arse out, and like just put put it away, man. I mean, I saw far too much of his of his funky weapon during that tournament. I'll just Let's say see. that. Let's face it, two favourite moments from that. One was the fact that when Ishimori pinned him with the, like, the pull of the tights, and he's, they actually done the translation, and Chris Charlton pointed out that he, he turned around to like the ref and went, you can see my ass, surely that's a DQ. <laughs> and let's see, Watto probably got the worst pin loss uh, of all time, when he had Taguchi's ass firmly on his face. I'm amazed it didn't make his cock eye go straight. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was a master water saw film in that evening. I'll just. <laughs> it was like, it was one of those things that, like, now that you remind me of it, I, I'm not going to be able to unsee it again. I really hope that I'd managed to block that in my head because I was wondering how Taguchi's ass was going to play into this tournament. I just didn't think I would actually see it. <laughs> yeah, but let's hope this doesn't become his thing. Like, let's just make sure he keeps underwear on under those under that gear, but. Yeah, this is a, a perfect opportunity to set up a potential tag title match because I think they're the only real other contenders for them given that Yo is probably not going to be back for a couple of months now. Uh, you know, who knows what the, the six-man champs are going to do. Maybe they'll just do something on like the pre-show as they tend to do with those belts. But looking across both nights, I think so far across uh, night one and two, there's like three special singles matches that have been set up, which I'm glad about because... It, New Japan can be guilty on big shows like this of starting every match around a title because they have so many. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've got to write the money there. I mean, given the quick, without going into depth or like how they've came about, we do have night one, we've got Okada and Osprey, which was built before this. We have Tanahashi vs Okan has been added, and we've got Evil vs Sonada. Um, on top of, we've got five matches on night one and four on night two so far. Um, like at this rate, we are going to have a pretty stacked preview show to discuss. I know, and the funny thing about two of those matches for night two is that we're not even going to know one half of the participants until after night one because, you know, Ishimori's opponent and Jay White's opponent are both being determined on night one. So like they're giving you, keeping you in suspense and like forcing us to like, speculate right up until like, the day of, which is interesting and and again, you've got like this KOPW thing, and then they talk about the idea of it resetting. Does that mean that they immediately start the reset and creating the new champion at Wrestle Kingdom itself, or do they do it afterwards? Like, what are the rules about when the title resets? Because like they did talk about how the title gets vacated at the end of every year, so we're going to need to like get some confirmation of what the rules are about this. Yeah, I mean, that's it. There's been a lot of talk over how the rules are. And to me, if it doesn't fit into Wrestle Kingdom, do they try and squeeze it into New Year's Dash where we always get our biggest round of surprises? You know, it'd be a fun thing for uh, for New Year's Dash, you know, or maybe they'll figure out a new beginning. And so, like, you can have, like, the, the matches, like, similar to the matches to get in Jingu Stadium. You can have a four way at one of the new beginning shows. And then on the road, too, you can do the four qualifiers. You know, because like you gotta have something on the on the smaller shows to keep people interested, because you know they like to throw an odd title match on like a smaller Corgan Hall show. Yeah, and I think I think we've we've got a lot we've got a lot to talk about there. And let's say the last thing before we really wrap things up, let's a quick 
going to throw this one out to you. Favourite favorite match and your MVP from the tournaments? Oh, wait, wait. An, ind- an individual MVP from each tournament and a favourite match? Give me a favourite match from it can be any combination. Um, anything uh, at all. <laughs> I think if I had to give a favourite match, I think given it, like, even now that we've talked about it and talked about all oh, this, they did this thing and then all oh, this moment here. I think I can't deny that her own versus Desperado was probably a match of the of the Super Juniors. Uh, I'm going to say Rio Horace versus Blake Christian. Actually, it was that good. It, it just narrowly beats it. Leo Rush versus ELP for me as best match of the Super Jacob, maybe because I was expecting uh, is Leo Rush versus ELP to be as good as it was, whereas I was taken completely by surprise by the Blake Christian match. And I think Best fair match is World Tag League. Oh, the the difficult one. That uh, I'll say. Oh Jesus! <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm going to give the cop out answer for it. Um, for me, for the two, like the two big tournaments, the finals for both of them, and it's crispy and ACH for the Super J Cup for me. I think maybe I'll give it to. I think her. I think LIG versus God. You know where. It only ever came down to like the X factor of like Jaro getting involved in hitting Sonata with the kendo stick that gave God the win. I think that's the match I'll, I'll give it to you know with a slight honorable mention to the shenanigans filled match between God and Dangerous Techers. God are God are definitely the MVP of uh, of World Tag League. Romo, while he always had consistent matches, you know he had that storybook with him. Um, we didn't mention where he had pictures of every opponent. Uh, in his in his book, I think Desperado uh, briefly outshone him as the uh, the MVP of the tournament as a whole, and you know ELP with his sheer bastardry is easily the MVP of a uh, of his tournament, and like like the fact that he, he decided he still wanted to wear a jacket, but he just battered the what was left of the trophy after when they presented it to him. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in total agreement. It's it's one of those ones where I can't even argue against any of the picks. I'm in complete agreement with you. It was, I mean, we, we've had a, we've had an absolutely stacked what has been just over a month. I mean, that has been a, a crazy schedule to keep up with, and it, I'm hoping that if there are things are starting to get back to normal, that we'll start to get more reasonable breaks, and we'll have like we won't have to do three tournaments in such a short time again. <laughs> yeah, because. Uh... Looking at the the brief, like looking very briefly at the schedule on New Japan's website before we start this, I thought like, well, there's the when we talk about every week, we can talk about the outcome of uh, Yano's match with uh, Bad Luck Valley at the Road Two, and then also you got Wrestle Kingdom and New Year's Dash, and they start the New Beginning Tour. They've already confirmed that from the 17th of January. But what's interesting is they're not doing it in Osaka and Sapporo this year uh, with New Beginning because the two major shows are going to be. New Beginning in Nagoya and the 30th of January and New Beginning in Hiroshima eh, on the 10th and 11th of February and they've already even confirmed eh, that the anniversary show and Wrestling Dontaku have been confirmed to be happening eh, next year to try and make up for the fact that they were some of the first like events to be cancelled when everything like kicked off with the pandemic. So nice. I mean, 2021 is not going to be any easier for us because New Japan clearly going to the new year or back and going right back to business as usual that's it and what what, what a time we've got ahead and you know I think you know we've, we've had an absolutely stacked show and 
you know, if everyone enjoyed that, you know, please please listen to previous episodes. East meets West. Our whole back catalogue is on the Spotify, Anchor, Apple. Um, throw it out on Twitter. Tell us what your favourite matches were. Tell us what your favourite moments were. Let us know, and we will be back with you soon. Um, probably with it, we'll, we'll definitely be back before the new year, um, mm. where we will have hopefully a full breakdown of our Wrestle Kingdom card. Uh, Scott, I don't know about you, but I, I'm reckon like I, I was hesitant about the two nights, but I'm starting to see why we're going to need it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both nights are going to leave you with a lot to cover, and then you're going to have all the fallout on New Year's Dash on the six, you know, and the fact that AEW and NXT are trying to put on big New Year's like shows the same day as them, you know, I think in wrestling in general, the sixth of January is going to be a busy bloody day, and I think. Uh, given that I think we're going to do it on the last days of, of 2020, you're going to hear that that period because we, we've already got enough announced already across both nights. But then also you're going to have had the road to uh, Tokyo Dome shows, and anything could probably be announced there. So, like we said before, we're doing the even the preview as late as possible so that we can have as fully a, a confirmed card as possible, and we don't have any surprises. Like as soon as we finish recording, like as soon as we finish. Oh, by the way, they announced this. <laughs> which is a favourite of New Japan in fact I think they've done it almost every single recording that we've done almost every single one we've done the full recording about a day later well by the way this has been announced you're kidding me yeah. it was like, I think it was like two days between our new beginning wrap up and uh, it's release and in between those everything we previewed at the end got uh, got made like, null and void because the pandemic officially they made the announcement that they cancelled everything going forward so you know New Japan just—it seems to always speak on, but the most important things happen right after we record. So on that on that note, thank you, Scott. It's been an absolute pleasure tonight. Uh, it's been a hell of a pleasure, you know, discussing about all this wrestling, and uh, I look forward to you know getting to finally rest for a bit. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Please tune in again, and please check out the other shows, even if it is Wilson that's talking on them. Going to have to take a wee dig in there. You know, he likes to talk, he likes to sound his own voice, but we're we're really we're the A show. Get that Rungies off. <laughs> Thank you everyone. <laughs> Night. <laughs>